In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The first reading for the fifth Sunday of Easter is from Acts chapters 6 and 7. In those days, as the number of the disciples grew larger and larger, a complaint was brought against those who spoke Aramaic by those who spoke Greek, that every day when the food was handed out, their widows were being neglected. The twelve called the whole group of disciples together and said, No one likes it if we give up teaching God's word and serve at tables. Now, fellow disciples, appoint seven men among you whom people speak well of, who are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we'll put them in charge of this work. Then we'll devote ourselves to praying and to serving by speaking the word. The whole group liked the idea, so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas, who had become a Jew in Antioch. They had these men stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. God's word kept on spreading and the number of disciples in Jerusalem was getting very large. Even a large crowd of the priests came to believe and obey the word. Stephen, full of God's gifts and power, was doing great wonders and miracles among the people. Some men of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of men from Cyrene and Alexandria, and men from Cilicia and Asia got up to argue with Stephen. How stubborn you are, and pagan at heart, and deaf to hear the truth. You're always opposing the Holy Spirit. Your fathers did it, and so do you. Was there ever a prophet your fathers didn't persecute? They killed those who announced the righteous one will come, and now you betrayed and murdered him. Angels were ordered to give you the law, but you didn't keep it. While they were listening, the men of the council became furious and ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up to heaven and saw God's glory and Jesus standing at God's right hand. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at God's right hand. But they yelled at the top of their voices, held their ears shut, and all together rushed at him. They threw him out of the city and started to stone him. The witnesses had laid their outer clothes at the feet of a young man. His name was Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he called, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then kneeling, he called out loud, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. He answered, Fellow Jews and fathers, listen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our epistle is from 1 Peter chapter 2. And like newborn babes, thirst for the pure milk of the word, so that you'll grow and finally be saved. Surely you have tasted that the Lord is good. Come to him. He is the living stone whom men rejected, but God selected as precious. You also are being built as living stones into a spiritual temple to be holy priests who bring spiritual sacrifices that God gladly accepts through Jesus Christ. The Bible says, 
I am laying in Zion a cornerstone chosen and precious. And if you believe in him, you'll never be disappointed. He is precious to you who believe. But to those who do not believe, he is a stone which rejected by the builders has become the cornerstone. The stone they stumble over and the rock they fall over. When they disobey the word, they stumble over it. That's the end appointed for them. But you are a chosen people, priests of the king, a holy nation, a people saved to be his own and to tell the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had received no mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, Don't be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. In my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you, because I go to prepare a place for you. And when I have gone and prepared a place for you, I'll come again and take you home with me, so you'll be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Lord, we don't know where you're going, Thomas said to him. So how can we know the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus answered him. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you have learned to know me, you'll know my Father too. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. That's enough for us. I've been with all of you so long, Jesus answered him. And you don't know me, Philip? If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What I tell you doesn't come from me, but the Father who lives in me is doing his works. Believe me, I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me because of my works. I tell you the truth. If you believe in me, you'll do the works I am doing, and you'll do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do anything you ask in my name in order that the Son may glorify the Father. If you ask me for anything in my name, I'll do it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Our sermon text today is our Gospel text. Grace and peace from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. A man visits the doctor who says, You have cancer. It's not one with which we are very familiar. We don't know how successful any treatment will be. We have a few things we can try. A woman received word that there was an attack on her husband's military base and position. Several hundred were killed and wounded. Was her husband among them? Two friends sit in a cafe. The meal is over and it is time to go. Neither wants to leave, but one has to fly out of country 
to her new job and where her family is. They don't know when they will meet again or if they ever will. The child sits in the children's hospital. Everyone is around, is affirming and positive, but his mother sits worried because the doctors don't know what is wrong. They can't come down on a firm cause or, or even a firm course of action. Nothing tried thus far has yielded any positive results and nothing has been able to be diagnosed. Disaster has struck suddenly. The city is in disarray. People are missing and presumed dead. The body count continues to rise as more and more are found dead. And not only that, this natural dis disaster has disrupted normal services and supplies. Many more may yet die from disease and without food and water. What more may yet come? How many will be claimed by death? All these situations paint a picture of uncertainty. What does the future hold? What is to come? What will be? So often, we don't know. We really don't know. Now, this too was a situation into which the disciples were thrust. They were eating a meal with Jesus. It was Passover. Jesus' popularity had greatly increased, and there was much joy and excitement over his entry into Jerusalem. But now, at the table, Jesus has been doing some strange things. He has washed their feet and said they should love others in the same way. He said one of them would betray him. He had eaten with them and even established a new supper. Judas had left for some reason and Peter was told he would deny Jesus three times before it was fully morning. Jesus spoke about his going where they can't go but would follow later. No doubt this made the disciples sad and sorrowful. But perhaps even more so, it caused them fear. They were unsettled. Their hearts wavered back and forth. Look at all the questions of Jesus and the requests. We don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Lord, make known the Father to us, and it's enough for us. The disciples are at a loss. They're filled with uncertainty and possibly fear. Surely some trepidation is in their hearts as they contemplate Jesus' word and the future. What will be in store for them? What will this all mean for them? He just don't know. I'm sure, beloved in Christ, you can relate. Over the past few weeks and months, we have all asked similar questions. We have all pondered the unknown. At times, it has filled us with fear and worry. And other times, with anger or frustration. 
What is dreaded about the unknown, what causes the greatest problem, is that it makes it hard to make informed decisions. Our minds are thrown into a tizzy and our emotions run all over the place. We hardly know what to do or how to proceed. And even what decisions we do make, we second guess again and again. We are filled with fear and worry that we will act wrongly and cause death or suffering to those whom we love and hold dear. How unsettling indeed. It is here in John 14 that Jesus addresses the disciples and us. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let your heart be unsettled. But how? How can our hearts be settled? How can the troubles and worries die down? Jesus points us to himself and God the Father. Believe in God and believe in me. Jesus is calling us to have faith, to trust in him. Here is the answer and the only answer to our uncertainty and our fear. Here is the only antidote to our not knowing. It isn't science or scientists. It isn't government, programs, or even innovative private sector solutions. The antidote for our uncertainty is trusting the one who knows the future, who holds our lives in his hands, and who cares for you. Jesus is the way. How is he the way? What has he done and what is he doing? He was leaving to prepare a place. In fact, he is doing thus right now. He is preparing a place for you and me. He has a new home for us. This place he has prepared through his death on the cross. He prepared a place by taking our sin and shame and dying under them. He took our ailment and our troubles and he crucified them. They are gone. They are no more. And now he has risen. He has brought you new life. That's why we shout, Alleluia, Christ is risen. He's risen indeed, Alleluia. He rose and ascended in order that he might prepare a place for us. A new home, a new life. In other words, this isn't your home. Your home isn't in this world of death, fear, disease, and trouble. Your hope isn't in maintaining your life in this present world. Your home doesn't depend on your health, wealth, possessions, or even your family and friends. Your home depends on Jesus, on His 
promises. Unless you don't believe what Christ is saying here, unless you don't believe his death took away your sins, unless you don't have faith in his blood shed for you and his water poured upon your head, if you don't believe, then your home is in this falling apart world. This world that will be destroyed by fire. This world and those who belong to it who will be thrown into a pit of hell. For those whose hope is in this present world and keeping their life in it, then their heart is rightly filled with trepidation. But we who have been called out of this world, who no longer share in the darkness, who have departed the wide path of destruction. We, along with those who will believe and along with those who went before, need not be filled with worry and fear. For we have the way of life given to us. We have fear conquered and death overthrown. Nothing in this world can keep us from our home. Nothing can remove from us this gift or this salvation accomplished and established for you and me. This salvation and life are yours in Christ. It isn't anywhere else. It isn't had any other way. Only in Jesus do we have life. Only in Jesus do we truly know God. In Jesus, we see who the Father is. We see God is self-sacrificing. He's giving of himself for you. He's living for your sake. He didn't need us, but he acts for us anyway. His love is clearly seen on the cross. Our vindication and our life is seen in his resurrection. Our hearts are calmed then in the face of death. Our hearts are calmed in our troubles. Not because they aren't real or because they aren't deadly, but because he has promises that far exceed the threat. He has promises that are greater than the threat. For he himself is greater than the threat. He faced the death head on. He faced pain and suffering and hell itself. And he overcame. Jesus went through it all and brought forth life. He is life. And he brings that life to you. He brought it to you in baptism, in that blessed flood. It is yours completely and fully. He is the way to the Father. He has charted the path back for you. He has passed through the dangers of sin and hell and death and made a way out of them all for you. He is your way out. He is the only way. 
Everything else in this world is uncertain. Everything else is fraught with danger. Everything is a risk. Going out is dangerous. Staying home is dangerous. Driving is dangerous. Putting money in the bank is dangerous. Keeping it under your mattress is dangerous. You name it, there is a risk. Nothing you plan or do is certain. James reminds us in chapter 4 of his epistle, verses 13 to 16. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Since everything else is uncertain, since we don't know what tomorrow will hold, whether the world will end now, or go on for a thousand more years, since we are bound to the present moment, let us cling all the more to our Lord and Savior. His word is sure and certain. His promises are true and proven so. Everything he has spoken and said has been. It has happened. Our hope and life are in Jesus. The way has been made clear. The truth resounds. The life stands alive and well. Jesus is our way, our hope, our life. He is everything. And today, today he comes. Today, he joins us. As he walked with us in the flesh 2,000 years ago, so he comes to us today in flesh. He comes to you in his word. The way, the truth, and the life comes into your heart and mind to live with you and abide with you. He enters your life through your ear. He lives with you. His Spirit creates the faith in you that looks to Him in trust and hope. But not only in His Word. He comes to you and abides with you at His table and in baptism. Here, Christ meets with you and continues to live and walk with you. Here, you come to know Him as well. Here you see your sins are forgiven and washed away. You are cleansed. And your life is established and secured. So hear again the promise of our resurrected Lord as he speaks to you. Fear not. Let not your hearts be troubled. I have given you a great inheritance, my very own death.
conquering life. You have an unending life now with me. I have washed you clean. I have made you mine. I have overcome for you. I have conquered for you. And I have gone ahead of you to prepare a place in my home of many rooms. In my city, the heavenly Jerusalem, you have a new home that far exceeds this one. And I will come again soon to take you to myself so that you may also be where I am. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen. All readings prior to the sermon come from an American translation of the Bible.